theme for this entire series that we've been in all years is Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 7. Seize life. Say, seize life. Seize Say it again. Say, seize life. seize life. You see, many times we're waiting on God to do something, and God is waiting on us. Amen? I mean, it's important to wait on God, right? But it's also important to recognize moments. It's important to rep- recognize opportunities. How many you know that some things you don't have to pray about? Some of you are like, that don't make, you're like, yes, you do. Think about it. There's some times when you just need to recognize a moment and step into it. Like, for instance, Jesus didn't pray for the sick. He healed the sick, okay? So he saw an opportunity and he seized it. So say, seize life. We're talking about taking life by the horns. We're talking about passion, making the most, not being ordinary. Our other theme scripture for this, for this series has been um, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 3. Can we put that up for a second? It says, for you are still carnal, for, for where there are envy, strife, divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? Now, pastor has charged this with that last sentence. Paul said, like mere men. In other words, we're not supposed to be mere men. There's something that's supposed to be different. Amen. Amen. And last, I'm just kind of laying the foundation because I, I want to leave off where, pa- I mean, I want to pick up where Pastor left off. He- Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14 through 16. It says, seeing that we have a-, a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our profession. Seeing, uh, for we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are without sin. Let us therefore come boldly. Say boldly. Say it again. Say boldly. Unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace in our time of need. Amen. And so I want to pick up today where where we've been, uh, where pastor and our other pastors have left off. And I want to talk about incredible keys to incredible breakthroughs. And today I'm actually going to be talking about the word compassion. Say compassion. compassion. Say compassion. compassion. I want to talk about God's passion and compassion. Now, compassion, you know, and I say this all the time. I almost feel like I'm beating a, a dead drum. I say this almost every time about every word, but I really mean this. Is that how many of you know that cert- certain things can become ordinary to us that shouldn't become ordinary? Certain things can lose its meaning because we don't appreciate or maybe sometimes we don't take the time to reevaluate what it means. And, and so, you know, the Lord began to speak to me this week about compassion. And I was like, you know what, you know, I, I thought, I think I know what compassion is, you know. And so I, I went, <clears throat> and today I kind of want to do a systematic. I want to build from the very bottom. Is that okay? Can, you, can we take a little journey here? All right. The Bible, I mean, this is what the dictionary, not the Bible. The dictionary says this is what compassion is. It's the disposition that fuels acts of kindness and mercy. Compassion is a form of love. Say love. Love. And it's stirred within us when we are confronted with those who suffer or are vulnerable. Now stop for a second. We just read Hebrews chapter 4, and it talked about how Jesus suffered for our sake. The Bible says that he was touched with all of our infirmities. So the minute we start playing that card where he doesn't understand what we're going through, oh, he understands. 
He went through everything we went through times 10, but came out sinless. Amen? We're better off because we got AC nowadays, right? <laughs> Just kidding. You ever think about that? They didn't have AC. They didn't have anything back then. I mean, anyway, amen. Anyways, but Jesus was touched with every level of our infirmity. Um, he was touched with emotional stress. He knew what anxiety was. He, he understood what the, the, the cares that we go through in everyday life. How many of you know that? Amen. Wave at me. So compassion produces action that alleviates suffering. Now, there's, like, like I said, I'm building this. There's two Hebrew words and there's one Greek word that mean the same thing. When it talks about compassion, compassion is, is translated as to show pity, to show love, to show mercy. Other synonyms are to be loved by, to show concern for, to be tenderhearted, and to act kindly. So you see, compassion is a word that implies multiple things, but I, I want you to see something. What, what is all that example of? It's all a fruit of love. Fruits of the Spirit, right? Okay. Now, but my personal favorite definition of what compassion is, is found in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 34. Another way that compassion can be defined is to suffer together. Say that with me, to suffer together. That's why the last week of Jesus' life is known as the passion of the Christ. Why? Because a definition of a passion is not just an emotion. It's the commitment to see a thing fulfilled at any cost. So your passion is always tested, always. And Jesus was so passionate about me and you that he endured every single test, every single trial, every single obstacle, and he finished his work. Amen. amen. Say amen. amen. That's good news, right? So, okay, so biblically, let's talk about this word compassion. Now, this is the interesting thing about compassion. When you go through the Bible, there's tons of, of scriptures about compassion, okay? But there's only about two handful that have to do with human compassion. Why? Okay, because all of us are capable of showing compassion. Is that right? But it's not our natural state. Think about this for a second. We're all able to show compassion, but compassion is not our, is not our natural state, especially in a fallen state apart from Christ. Because the natural state of humanity is self-preservation. Basically, this is what that, that implies, is that I draw a circle around me to, about what matters to me, and I protect everything in that circle, and my life is about protecting that. That's self-preservation, right? There's some aspects of that that are good, but in other words, the natural state of man is to, is to preserve self, to worry about self, and maybe a few others. Am I right? Am I, am I wrong? Are, are we not naturally selfish? <laughs> That's why God has to change so much of our nature. Am I right? All right, all right, all right. Some of you are like, is he calling me selfish? We all are, right? Naturally, right? It's only that when Jesus begins to work his nature in us that that changes. But, so, but see, we do see examples of human compassion in the scriptures. Real quick, let's put up Exodus chapter 2, verse 6. Now, this is one that's, that, that, that is a scripture that sticks out to me. Moses is in the, is in the basket, right? And the princess 
um, she comes out, she's a daughter of Pharaoh, and she sees Moses, and it says that she has compassion for him, right? Because she saw the baby crying, right? Um, another example of human compassion is in 1 Samuel. It's uh, the 22nd chapter, verse, 23rd chapter, verse 21. Saul is trying to find David, and it says that one of the tribes called the Zephites, they came, and it says that they were compassionate towards Saul. Okay? They chose the wrong, wrong team, right? But, but it says that they were compassionate towards him. But I, I would say the most popular by far examples of compassion in the Bible from a human standpoint is Luke chapter 10, verse 10. How many of you grew up hearing that, be the good Samaritan, right? Because it's important to point this out. This, the Pharaoh, the daughter of Pharaoh, she was not a Christian. She wasn't an Israelite. She wasn't a Hebrew. She was a pagan, okay? But yet she had compassion. The Samaritan was not a believer, but yet he showed great compassion. Because in our human state, even apart from God, we have the ability to love and we have the ability to show compassion to a certain extent. Does that make sense? Okay, going somewhere. So while the Bible is, there's very few scriptures to reference the compassion of man, there is tons and tons and tons and tons of scriptures that reference the compassion of the Lord. Can I get an amen to that? We owe everything that we are to his compassion. And so today, that's what I want to talk about. I want to talk about his passion. My definition of compassion is God's passion for his people. Uh, let's, let's dive into this a little deeper now. So we understand that, 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 that compassion is not uniquely Christian. Let me give you another example. Oprah Winfrey. I don't agree with her, I mean, her religious views, but Oprah, Oprah Winfrey is doing more for children than entire denominations of churches. Bill Gates is an agnostic, but he's doing more for, for children all around the world than, than entire denominations. By the way, while I'm, that just reminded me, it's missions weekend as a church, how many of you would agree with me that we will never compromise on our missions budget? Amen. We'll never stop making missions our priority. So many, I'm just telling, I just, let me just say this. So many denominations have left that. I, I promise you. They don't give any more to missions. The, the Great Commission. And uh, it feels good to be part of a church that still makes that a priority. Amen. But, but seriously, Oprah Winfrey and Bill Gates, and Mark Zuckerberg, all these guys are doing so much for the world. But let me ask you a question, okay? That, that's with very limited abilities to, to love and show compassion. How much more should the church be full of compassion? And I want to say right up front that compassion is not empathy. Empathy means that on an emotional level, I connect to your pain. Meaning this, you have to really be a cold-hearted person not to have empathy sometimes. Am I right? We all feel empathy. Like when we see something, it's like, man, that hurts my feelings like for that person. But compassion is not the same thing as empathy. Compassion is action. Empathy is just an emotion. It doesn't mean anything unless it becomes an action. Can I get an amen? amen. God has not called us just to empathy. God has called us to compassion. Amen. We're just building my case here. Stay with me. So let's talk about where this comes from, okay? Can we put up John, 1 John chapter 4, verse 8? 
He who does not love does not know God, for God is, for God is. This is what I say. Love is the root and compassion is the fruit, okay? One produces the other. Now, the same way that we just said that humans are capable of showing compassion, are humans also capable of showing love? Yes, right? So let me ask you a question. What is John saying here? Because he says, he who does not love does not know God. Is he saying that people don't know how to love? That's not what he's saying. He's saying it's, an imposs- it's impossible for a Christian not to love. He's making it very plain. Christians, it's impossible for a, a believer to not love. It's, that's impossible because that's the foundation of knowing God. L- let me just say this up front. The foundation of knowing God is not scripture, it's not doctrine, and it's not that you can quote the Bible. The foundation of being a believer is the love that you have. Okay, listen. Because here, here's the thing. Jesus said in, in this that you, you will know that, I'm your dis- that you're my disciple by the love that you care for one another. All of these other things are important All, listen to me, all of these other things are important, but we've got to remember the most important thing is love. Because the Apostle Paul says, anything that's not done out of love sounds like I'm hitting that symbol. Even, even, let me me say this, you can do it, you can say a good thing, and if it's not said out of love, you still sound like a symbol. (laughs) Amen. (laughs) But I want you to see something. Does, it, does this scripture say that God shows love? Does it say that God has love? It says God is love. That's a huge difference. Personally, I believe love is the fingerprint of God. That's why humanity still has a bit of it, but it's very limited. Now, God's love is supernatural, which means this, is that there's something about his DNA, there's something about his essence There's something about his makeup that doesn't just show love, it is love. In other words, he permeates it. It's a part of his beauty. It's a part of who he is. I personally believe right now, until we get to heaven, we will never be able to fully understand how much love actually God has because it's incomprehensible. We're making sense. So the Bible says that God is is love. Now, I I need to say this because this is important for where I'm going. Is everybody with me? Everything that God is flows out of his love. For instance, his love, his mercy, his justice, his righteousness, his holiness, his wrath, his grace, and his compassion. We're going to get to that in a second. Because a lot of people have, 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 a, have this question in their mind. They say, how can a compassionate God send people to hell? I want to show you today, I want to show you this today, that all of God's attributes work together out of love, okay? Okay, so let me go somewhere, okay. Now, on this compassion thing, we see that everything in the Bible is about, all throughout the Bible we see compassion. This is why. If you go through the entire Old Testament, you will find a cycle of the same thing. God's calling Israel. Israel's rebelling. God's calling Israel. Israel's rebelling. God's calling Israel. Israel's rebelling. Am I right? Keep the focus here. When, when, when God, God's calling Israel, 
they're, fa- they're failing, they're backsliding, what does God do? Again, brings his love and his mercy, his compassion. I need, it's important for us to realize this, that love and compassion is what kept the covenant together, not Israel's goodness, not Israel's obedience, not what Israel can do. It's, it's, it's literally from beginning to end, his love and his compassion kept that covenant together, even when he had every right to leave it. See, some are saying, what's the big deal about compassion? Everything. If the Lord wasn't merciful and compassionate, where would we be? Let, let, let me give you this thought. Next time you're having a bad day, next time you're having a bad day, sit, I dare you, for 30 minutes and think about the compassion and kindness of God. See if your day don't turn around. It's hard to think about the goodness of God and your situation not change. It's hard. But anyways, that's a side note. The same way that compassion kept the Old Testament together, in the New Testament, compassion fulfilled the, the covenant. So can I, can, I, can I talk about Jesus for just a moment? Can I talk about Jesus for just a moment? All right. I want to talk about Jesus and his, and his compassion. Now, growing up, growing up, I, I found myself confused a lot. And this is what I mean. I, I grew up um, very hungry for knowledge, very hunger for scripture. And, and so what I would do is I would oftentimes listen to all of these theologians, okay? And one of the things that always baffled my mind is that there's 15 opinions on everything, Am I right? There's 15 opinions, and everybody thinks they're right. And everybody claims that that revelation came from the Spirit. So what I'm saying, how do you argue with that? Someone tells me, well, God told me. Well, how do I argue with that, right? So, so, so this is what I settled in my mind from, from, for, 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 for forever, okay? Is that Jesus is perfect theology. If I want to know what God is, okay, because think about it. Theology means the study of God. So if I want to know perfect theology, I have to know Jesus. Because Jesus is God, right? We know that. Fully God, fully man, right? So anything that you want to know about God, you just have to look at Jesus. So I I, I began to say, you know what? Forget, you got to crash the chatterbox sometimes. And you've got you've to glean from Jesus and you've got to say, God, Jesus, you have to teach me about the Father. Because Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, okay? And another thing is, is he said, I only see what I do the Father doing. Okay, that's important. Stay with me. Jesus shows up on the scene and he declares Isaiah 61. I want to put that up on the screen. But before, before I read this scripture, I want to say this. It will be a powerful day when the church can declare this to the world. Because, see, when Jesus started his ministry, this is how he chose to start it. He got up one day and he says, and he's speaking from the words of the prophet Isaiah, he says, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. Does that sound like compassion or what? Let me ask you a question. What made Jesus get off his throne and leave heaven? Yeah. 
Compassion. To proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of the vengeance of our God. To comfort all those who mourn. To console those who mourn in Zion. To give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. That they may be called trees of righteousness, that the, that, that the planting of the Lord, that they may be glorified. Now hold on for a second. Jesus just declared that his entire ministry was about a rescue mission. Jesus, let me just say this. Jesus is in the healing business. Jesus is, is in the restoration business. Jesus is in the business of trading beauty for ashes. Okay. I'm going somewhere, okay? Now, we all know in here very clearly that the main reason that Jesus had to come is because he had to die for our sins. Is that correct? Okay. But salvation is a word sometimes that I, I don't know if we fully understand the fullness of what that word means. Salvation means saved, healed, delivered. Okay. The apostle Paul said, Work out, walk out your salvation daily. That, so what that means is, yes, Jesus pardoned me from the penalty of my sin. So when I stand before a judgment seat one day, I will be pardoned. That's awesome. But there are some things right now that salvation is working in you. Okay, let me explain. What Paul says, let me walk out my salvation. That means every single day you're receiving the salvation of the Lord. You're not just saved, you're being saved. The Bible's very clear about that, which means this. Every single day I see the salvation of the Lord. I'm saved, I'm healed, I'm delivered every single day. Because how many know, even after you get saved, you're gonna go through some things. You're gonna need salvation to show up. You're gonna need it. Not just on judgment day, not just when you stand before, not just before, when you stand before the judgment seat of Christ. You need salvation working in your life every single day. And so what Jesus does, he shows up in Isaiah 61, and he says, I've come, to I've come to redeem, I've come to heal, I've come to mend, I've come to fix, and ultimately I've come to die for the sins of humanity. Okay, I'm, we're really, now I'm starting to hit the gears, just stay with me. But this is, like I said, he came to die for our sins, but I believe the second primary reason why Jesus came to earth was he came to properly demonstrate to us what the heart of the Father is. Didn't we just say that Jesus is perfect humanity, right? I mean, no, that he's perfect theology? Sorry, got those words in. So anything that we want to know about God, we find in the person of Jesus, right? So check this out. So everywhere he went, what was he doing? He was healing people. He brought the love of God. He healed the sick. He forgave sins. He restored hope to the hopeless. Jesus was consumed with compassion. I, I, I want to show you this. Put up Matthew chapter 9, verse 36. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with, he was moved with what? For them, because they were weary and scattered. He was fulfilling Isaiah 61, right here. And he says, the sheep having like sheep having no shepherd. Now let's go to Matthew chapter 14, verse 14. And when, another, another chapter, and when Jesus went out, he saw a great multitude and he was moved with compassion for them. And he healed their sick. I, I will suggest to you today that most of the miracles that Jesus did was from his 
compassion for people. It's not because he was trying to show that he was powerful. It's not because he was trying to build a reputation for himself. It's that he said in Isaiah 61, I am here to set people free. That's what I do. That's what I do. And so what happens is he's showing up in all, in all of these places to preach to people, right? Because the first priority is to preach, right? The Bible says, how can, they, how can they believe if they don't hear? So Jesus shows up to preach, but he's so moved with compassion, before he even starts preaching, he just starts healing people. See, here's what I'm trying to say. Sometimes you've got to show compassion before you try to preach to people. Somehow, listen. Oh, I, I wish, I wish. I'm not just talking about this church or that church down the road. I'm telling, I wish the entire church would learn this principle. We're so busy trying to convert any, everybody that we don't love anybody. It's, it's just, it's just, it's just, it just don't make any sense, right? And so, and so Jesus shows up to preach and he eventually does preach. One time he had to get in a boat because they wouldn't leave him alone because there was such a need and he had to preach the kingdom, right? Because he's preaching the kingdom and repentance. But I want you to see here that many times compassion interrupted his schedule. And my question today is, is compassion interrupting our schedules? And this is what I love about Jesus, and this is, this is what I've come to talk about today, okay? Jesus was not afraid to touch dirty people. He touched lepers, he prayed for sick people, now, I want you to see the difference. The Pharisees kept a safe distance. The Pharisees had this attitude like, you know, I, I can't be around them. I can't touch them. I, I can't come near them. Can I say that? That's how most of the church lives. Do you know why? Because so much of the church is afraid that the world is going to get onto them instead of having faith that they're going to get onto the world. Okay? So what happens, what happens is this. Now, just so we're not confused, just so we're not confused here, okay? The Bible says be set apart, be holy. It says to consecrate ourselves. Is there a healthy separation? Yes. Psalm says don't sit in the council of the ungodly. Yes. But let me demonstrate. Let me point something out. Jesus was not sitting in their council. He wasn't asking for their advice. Jesus wasn't hanging out being like, hey, can you give me life advice? No. Jesus was not being influenced by them. Jesus was influencing them, okay? And so for so long... The church has used that excuse of I got to be set apart and holy. But listen, here's the deal. Be set apart and be holy. But, you're, but if, if, if that's our excuse for hiding from darkness, then we're, Jesus said, what good is it to have a light and hide it under a lampshade? See, sometimes God is calling you to go to Nineveh. Sometimes God is calling you right into the middle of the thick of it. I'm just telling you. Amen. So there's this paradigm shift that, you know, the, the Pharisees were like, you know what, you know, you sinners stay over there, you know, because, you know, ring your bell, leper, and maybe someone will carry you, you know, or get to the pool yourself, you know, all in the name of their theology. I'll have you realize that it was their theology that they, that they, that they excused themselves for acting like that. Remember what we just said? Jesus is perfect theology. And Jesus... See, and all of a sudden, people started talking about Jesus. Oh, you see Jesus? Man, he's hanging out with tax collectors. He's hanging out with adulterers. Oh, he, he's around those filthy sinners. Look, what's he doing with Peter, man? Doesn't Peter have a mouth on him? Because Jesus isn't afraid to get his hands dirty. 
See, people want to catch fish. Everybody wants to catch fish, but no one wants to clean fish, right? And so, and so, <laughs> what we do is we ruin the harvest before it ever gets here, okay? And so, sorry, I, I'm, not, I'm really not trying to go off on that today. <laughs> He was not, a, let, me, let me just show this, that he was not afraid to get around sinners and show mercy. Now, I want to illustrate a story that I preach from all the time. And people are probably so tired of me preaching from this story. The reason why I love this story is because there's so many messages contained in this one story. Okay? The woman caught in the act of adultery. Now, this is an awkward situation, okay? Because... It's, the Bible doesn't say that she confessed it, no. The Bible says that she was caught in the act of it, right? That's awkward, right? So check this out. Remember a few minutes ago I said that everything that God does is out of love? And I really meant that. Even his wrath, even his justice, and even his, all those other things. And I'm about to show you why. God, the woman comes before him. And Jesus steps in between her and them. Because that's what he does. Satan is the accuser of the brethren, and he's our great lawyer, really. That's what he is. He is like the best attorney. He's, he's our savior. And so, now, but let me ask you a question. Who just showed up? Who did we say that Jesus was? Okay. So, they were condemning her by the law, right? Who gave them the law? God. So, who just showed up? The lawgiver. John chapter 1, in the beginning was the word. Jesus was, Jesus was Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. He was the Torah. He was the commandments. So check this out. I'll check this out. He shows up. What was his rebuke to them always? He says that you don't understand the weightier things of the law. He says you, he says you don't understand mercy. He says, because I desire mercy and not sacrifice. Why? Because no sacrifice, no sacrifice is greater than his. Jesus is not impressed by sacrifices. He said, I don't desire sacrifice. I desire mercy, right? And so he shows up. Now, I want to show you how God demonstrated his justice, his righteousness, and compassion in one story. He shows up and he says, excuse me. And he says, he that hath no sin cast the first stone. Now watch this. Did he make an excuse for her sin? No. There's no excuse ever. But he said, if you kill her, you've got to kill yourself. And this, is, and this is what he says. This is what he says after that. He steps and he says, and they put down their stones. Because this is what Jesus was saying. She's guilty. But I am taking her place. Then he tells her, then he tells her, go and sin no more. That's righteousness. Well, hold on, what did you just see? You just saw justice. Because justice says there has to be a penalty. He said, I'm the penalty. I am the penalty. Kill me. Save her. Then what does he do? He shows his compassion. And then he demonstrates righteousness. He says, go and sin no more. See, the way that we deal with sinful people is we often put condemnation on them. But Jesus has a perfect way of demonstrating his righteousness, his judgments, his grace, and his compassion all at the same time. Because you can't separate them. 
See, some people, some people want a God, let me, let me explain it like this. Some people want a God who's all loving, who never addresses anything. And then some people want a God that always just comes down with a hammer on everybody. And I'm here to tell you God is neither. He's right here in the middle. He says, I love you, but let's deal with this. He says, I love you, but I'm calling you out of this. We, we have to settle in our mind at the core of who God is. He is love. He can't help himself. So did I make sense? That was justice, that was righteous, and that was compassion. Okay, amen. <laughs> hey, and, and, and here's the amazing thing about that story. Somehow she got saved. She didn't even ask for forgiveness, and he said, your sins are forgiven. How? She didn't ask. That's just how good God is sometimes. I don't know. Maybe her heart was speaking. All I know is that she became one of his closest followers. Because someone was willing to show compassion when she didn't deserve compassion. See, grace is not about deserving. We've made grace about deserving. People say, well, they don't deserve that. When did grace ever become about deserving? When? When? We tell people, oh, when you do what's right, we'll show grace. No, you show grace right now. Grace, grace is giving a gift that people don't deserve so that they can live a life they could have never imagined. Am I, am I making sense? Okay, let me move on. I got to go. So Jesus, that's his compassion for us. What made Jesus get off the throne in heaven? Compassion. Compassion. And I'm closing with my last segment. Can you stay with me a few more minutes? I want to, I'm closing with this. Our duty as believers Okay, we're talking about passion. Our duty as believers is this, what I'm about to say right now. John 14, 12. My favorite, probably my favorite verse in the entire Bible. <clears throat> Most surely I say to you, he who believes in me. Say believes. Believe. He said the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do because I go to my father. Okay, hold on for a second. Wait, 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 wait. Think about this for a second. What are the works that Jesus did? He fed 5,000 people. Actually, I'm sorry, he fed 25,000 people. There was 5,000 5, men. They didn't count the women and children, okay? They estimate 25,000, okay? The second thing is this. He healed lepers. He healed sick people. He, he, he touched sinners. He restored lives. So Jesus said the works... I do, you will do, but on a greater level. And, but see, he makes this statement. He says, because I go to my father. Now, what does that mean? Because, see, Jesus, even though he was God, he's one body filled with the spirit, right? Jesus said, I have to go so that I can send the spirit and fill millions of people. See, because as long as he stayed on earth, only he could carry the Shekinah of God on the inside of him. Any, uh, uh, any of the rest of us, it would have killed us. He had to go and pour the, the, the blood on the mercy seat so that the Holy Spirit could send himself. So listen, Jesus was one man filled with the Spirit. He said, I got to go so that I can come and fill all of you with the Spirit. Now check this out. Does the Bible say that we got a different spirit? No. It says the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead has come to quicken our mortal bodies. What Jesus did when he sent the Holy Spirit, he multiplied his ministry on the earth. 
Oh, you didn't know that the ministry of Christ is on the inside of you? Well, who is the Holy Spirit? It's the voice of Jesus. It is Jesus. The ministry, that's why the Bible says our ministry is a ministry of reconciliation. Be, Christ is in us crying out to the world. Be reconciled to God. Be reconciled to God. So in other words, Jesus is saying, I've anointed you to do the same works that I've done. Now, let me ask you a question, though. We just saw the reason why he did some of those works, out of love and compassion. He was so filled with love and compassion for people that he couldn't help himself. He just started healing and restoring. And the church is supposed to be so consumed with passion for people that we can't help ourselves. All we can do is restore people and heal people and bring, am I making sense? It should excite you that Jesus just gave you your life description. So many of us are caught on our vocation. I understand we all have jobs and we have things that we're called to do in that arena. But how many know John 14, 12 was not for just a select few. He said, he who believes in me. Y'all with me? I'm getting close to the end. Just stay with me. So Jesus sent the Holy Spirit so that we could do greater works. Say greater works. So this is what we should do. This is my opinion. We should live our lives like this, that we are obligated to show the world an encounter with God. Jesus said, I only do what I see the Father doing. In other words, he was revealing the heart of the Father. Everywhere we go, we should be revealing the heart of the Father. I owe the world an encounter with God. See, then, then, then the responsibility shifts. Remember we said seize life? There's so many people all around us. There's so many needs. In, in Christ, and we're, so sometimes we're like, God, we're waiting to hear your voice. And God's like, I already told you what to do. People say, why don't, why don't we see sick people healed? Because we don't pray for sick people. Just do it. Try it. What's the worst that could happen? They don't get healed? Amen. You still prayed for them. What's the best thing that could happen? They get healed. Right? But see, the compassion is the fuel for all of this. Colossians 3, 3, uh, 3, 12. Therefore, as the elect of God, who's the elect of God? We are. Holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. Well, that's a concept, right? If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, you must also do. You see, guys, we're not called to just preach the gospel. We're called to live the gospel. St. Francis said that we're supposed to preach the gospel and if necessary, use words. That means that you can, that means that you can, that means that you can preach the gospel before you ever open your mouth. So Live with this conviction that Jesus modeled the Christian life. Yes, Jesus came to die for our sins, but Jesus also came to empower us to live this life. That we take responsibility, we take ownership of this. And though we said that compassion is not exclusive to Christians, shouldn't we as Christians be demonstrating the most compassion out of anyone on this planet? The Bible says that we're filled with the Spirit. We're, we're, we, are we are the representatives of Christ. The, the Bible calls us ambassadors. <laughs> so I want to I give you this thought. The world will never care how much we know. 
until they know how much we care. But even beyond that, there is no impact unless there's contact. There is no impact unless there's contact. Our passion doesn't mean anything unless it hits somewhere who doesn't, where the passion needs to be. You know what happens to passion that just stays on the inside? It dies. But the more you give out, the more, your, more passion comes. The more you give out, the more passion comes. If you let passion sit on the inside of you, it's going to die inside of you. Amen. There's this story in Acts 9 as I close. It's a story of a woman named Dorcas. I was laughing. I couldn't help myself because her name sounds like Dork, right? I was just like, anyway, sorry. <laughs> That's just me being honest. I, you ever read the Bible and you're just like, where did this name come from, you know? <laughs> Maybe in Greek it means something. I don't know. I'm just kidding. Lord, forgive me. But so check this out. In Acts chapter 9, there's this woman, and the, and, and the Bible says that um, she did so many charitable deeds and, and good things, right? See, we're talking about passion, right? And the point of passion is to make an impact. You know what, you know what will give churches the greatest impact the world has ever seen? If we start acting in compassion. This woman did so many charitable, charitable deeds. One day she died, she got sick and she died. And they freak out. The community freaked out. They said, we can't let her die. Literally, the widows and the orphans were like, well, she can't die. We can't let her die. So they took her to Peter. Peter's sleeping. The Bible says that Peter arose and he came with them. And it says that he prayed for her. And it says that she rose from the dead. She was so good, the community wouldn't let her die. Where did her influence come from? Did her influence come from her scriptural knowledge or all these things, her, 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 her influence came because she was being Christ to people. The church will gain influence when we start being Christ to people. What, let me ask you a question. What, think about this. What gave Jesus his influence? It wasn't just his preaching. I mean, I'm going to be honest. It wasn't his preaching gift. It was his healing gift. Because the world has needs. The need to be met. And Jesus has called us to be Isaiah 61 type of people that we come and we restore and we heal and we, we release and we bring life. So she, we should live with this type of obligation. If, there's a, if, if we find a need, fill it. If we see a hurt, heal it. I'll never forget. I was in South Africa. Does anyone know who Heidi Baker is? Anybody? Wave at me. Few of you. Few of you know who Heidi is. So he- he- Heidi's an incredible woman. Heidi, uh, she's pretty much like our ge- our generation's Mother Teresa. And Heidi is from um, an area in California, Orange County. She's from one of the wealthiest counties in the entire country. Well, she she feels God led by God to move to Africa, so she moves to Mozambique. She has one of the most successful missionary organizations in the world. And I remember, I remember um, her impact on my life, even though I never met her, because I, there was something about her giving her all for people that attracted me to her. I wanted what she has. Does that make sense? Like Mother Teresa. Just this week, I was talking to my grandpa. He had the opportunity to do ministry with her. I mean, what an incredible honor, right, to be able to serve along someone who gave so much of their life for people. And so I remember, like, man, I, I remember being in South Africa, 
And I was like, God, I want to meet Heidi Baker. I remember praying that specific prayer. So I go down, I go down to the, I go to the elevator, and I get out of the elevator, and as soon as I walk out of the elevator, Heidi Baker was there, right in front of me, like walking to me, and I was like, oh my God, it's very serious, like, you know, it was just one of those times where like a prayer got answered so fast, you're just like, <laughs> like, I was like, man, I didn't know I had that much faith, you know what I mean, like, million dollars, million dollars, no, I'm just kidding, <laughs> so I, I was, And so, like, you know, um, as she walked towards me, you know, there's, there's certain people who carry the, just the tangible presence of Jesus. That's a be- I don't know how else to say it. I'm serious. It was, I've seen this a few times before, but it was almost as if she was glowing. I'm being dead serious. I'm not even making this up. I felt so much of God around her that it, conv- it conv- like, I literally, I felt convicted and inspired all at the same time. All she was doing was just stand, like seriously, we were just talking very softly and uh, we, we, we have mutual friends and we were talking and, and I remember there were, I just felt like an impartation just from being around her. She made me want to give more of my life away. I was just like, dude, I'll move to Africa right now. You know, I was just like, I was just like, let's do this. And so, <laughs> but um. But see, people like that, people like that, you know, they have so, they, it's, it's, it's this, this, this idea that we can carry so much of God and we can demonstrate. See, we don't need to be like mere men. See, once you're filled with the Spirit of God, you lose the excuse to ever be normal. So if, 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 if he lives inside of you, you can take on some of his attributes and characteristics and people can see him through you. And I, I just, and, and when you get around Heidi, you'll realize what, what, what fuels everything Heidi does, compassion for children. That's what she does with her whole life. Compassion has to fuel what we do. People have to see the passion for God in our compassion for them. You know, I, I, I wasn't planning on saying this, but this person is just flooding to my mind. How many of you have ever heard of George Whitfield? Anybody? Raise your hand. George Whitfield was one of the single preachers, one of the few that were responsible for the first great awakening that America ever saw. Okay? It was said that in his day, he reached 80% of Americans. 80%. One man. They didn't have microphones. They didn't have anything. And see, a lot of people, they, they, I've heard a lot of people dismiss George Whitfield because he preached a lot of you know, you know, you need to repent, hell, all this stuff like that. A lot of people say, oh, that was harsh. But see, there's a side of George Whitfield that a lot of people didn't see. That as George Whitfield would preach to people, see, he would, he, like I said, there was no microphones, there was no platforms. He would show up into coal miner towns. He would, even in, the, even in the winter, he would just stand in the snow and preach. But as he would be preaching about the judgment seat of Christ, and he'd be preaching about you know, repentance, all these things. And a lot of people say, oh, that's harsh. But, but see, here's the deal. As he would preach, tears would be flooding down from his face. Yeah. He, they said that he would cry so much that he began to sweat, that he began to melt the snow all around him. 
Because see, as he was preaching, there was something taking place. Compassion caused him to feel responsible for the people he was preaching to. Most people are preaching to people instead of preaching from a place of, I feel responsible right now for, for, for your life, for what you're going through. He felt a responsibility for people, and that was seen in his message. So I'll leave you with this today. The world needs to see the compassion of the Lord in the church. They've got to feel it. They've got to feel it from us. The world needs to see it. And I believe that as we, as we move in compassion, we'll have incredible influence. So here's a challenge. This year, we have a food drive, right? Why can't we make this the best food drive we've ever had? Seriously. Why don't we make this the best food drive we've ever had? Why don't we say, you know what, God, on our watch in our lifetime, we'll end the poverty in this city. We'll end homelessness. We'll clothe people. We'll feed. What if we had that type of vision? What if we had storehouses and storehouses of food? Why not? Jesus said greater works. Greater works. He fed 25,000 people. So let's feed 30,000 people, right? Let's feed 60,000 people. Let's take... There's, see, there's so much ministry the Lord has for us, but it's activated with compassion. As we move out in compassion and act, he backs us up. Trust me, God will send the resources. What if you had, biz- what if you had businessmen, businessmen in this church that said, you know what? The main objective of my business is not profit. It's compassion. Amen. We, we, could, we, we could change the world. We could have so much influence in our communities through this one thing called compassion.